frankly, I don't even have to talk about like those two like really well-known people. I mean, we can take somebody who I think was recently on your show, like um, uh, Daniel Faber mm. from OrbitFab. I mean, yes, he's doing refueling in space, but once you start talking to him, he has a larger vision and he's doing that as, as a stepping stone for the larger vision. And I think, again, we're, we're very fortunate to have these people with the larger vision. They also tend to be idealists, makes them nice people to work with because, you know, I prefer to work with idealists than with uh, people who are just in it for the money. You know, I've, mm. I've worked in, in other sectors in the past and, and you know, there are some sectors, you know, the financial sector where I was in the past, obviously it's not a big secret. A lot of people are in there for the money. It just makes for a different type of working environment and a different type of yeah, enjoyment, I suppose, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think fortunately in the space sector, we were so early on that I see very few of these, um, let's call them opportunists. Really the vast majority of people are idealists. And I, I carry a certain optimism that that's going to continue, if only by the fact that space is deep tech. So for somebody who is an opportunist to get in, it's not that trivial. You actually, you have to invest some time. I mean, people could say like, well, Raphael, you're a financial markets guy. Yes, I am, but I will humbly say, you know, I've probably by now spent thousands and thousands of hours like studying up on space and going to International Space University, as you, as you mentioned, and so forth. So I'm, and I continue learning every day and I continue to try to be humble. And like every day I learn something from people who have been in the industry longer than me. So I think it'll be difficult for people to just, to just come in on an opportunistic basis because they'll be found out very easily. So I have some optimism that we're going to continue to have this nice idealist, big visionary element in space. Hey, this is Jason Cadigan, the founder of Cold Star Technologies. We're back with another episode of the Cold Star Project, the show about the unexpected challenges of scaling space companies. I am here with Raphael Rutkin, who is the founder of uh, E2MC, basically an investment advisory for space companies. He's all up in the financial business, and uh, it's an area I really want to learn about. In fact, this is the first episode of season three of the Cold Star Project. So after about, I don't know, 150 episodes or whatever it is, uh, we're beginning to talk specifically to venture capitalists and investors who fund space companies. So Raphael, thanks for being here. My pleasure. You bet. So uh, I want to find out, I mean, like, like myself, you come into space from the business side of things. What led you to space? You got an education through International Space University. Um, how did this happen? Yeah, this is an interesting story. And I, su I suspect as many times in space, it happens sort of accidentally. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a business slash finance guy, right? I'm originally German, by the way. Um, I did my undergraduate studies at the Wharton School. As many Wharton people, I joined firms on Wall Street, did investment banking, M&A, switched to investment roles, and was basically working for big banks and hedge funds. Now, a few years ago, in my role as a alleged financial expert, some people who are very large shareholders of SpaceX approached me and wanted uh, basically an independent opinion on, on SpaceX from a financial point of view, just based on public information. I told them at the time that I didn't really know anything about space, which is the truth. They told me like, hey, look, Elon taught himself everything by himself reading books. You can do the same one. Fine, you know, I'll do that. I, I did read up a lot. I got completely sucked down the rabbit hole. I never looked back. Um, I now know that seems to be a common story. Like, as you you know very well, Jason, that I have not found any person who's like an ex-space person. That doesn't seem to exist. It seems to be a one-way street. Once you're in, you're in. And now I love it, but, but taking it back to a serious note, like, you know, when I started doing this work on SpaceX, I mean, A, I started to, to really get impressed by the company and what they're trying to do, which is a whole story by itself. But 
from my investment background, I just got fascinated with the sector. It seems like we may finally actually hit an inflection point for various reasons. Um, some of the big ones are the, the cost decreases that we're seeing both on the launch side as well as the component side, that this may just about really take off. So I sometimes compare it to the internet in the mid nineties. And that is very exciting because it also means that we're still relatively early on. All right. Well, I guess let's jump into the meat of it then. Uh, e E2MC is, is uh, you know, investing in space companies, helping them with a number of different services. Uh, it's a very pretty website, by the way. I was just checking it out. Thank you. <laughs> Impressed Thank with you. Oh, I got to get some of this kind of thing in mind. <laughs> so how, how do you find investments to work with? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, as you know, by now, there is a, you know, reasonable number of space startups out there. We actually try to track it internally. So we have a database, um, which I think right now on paper, well, not on paper, but, but it has something like close to 2000 companies worldwide. And we are looking at it globally. I mean, we're looking a little bit less in what I'd call the quote unquote adversarial, at least from a US perspective country. So it tends to be focused on the Americas and obviously primarily the US. On, on Europe, a little bit of Australia, a little bit of Israel, a little bit of some other Asian countries. Japan is another prominent one. So we definitely look at all of these areas. And then I'd say, you know, we're taking sort of a both a bottom-up and a top-down approach. So the bottom-up is really like, you know, looking which companies are out there and really trying to meet as many of them as possible and try to understand what they're doing. So there's tons of conversations. In, in normal times, there would be lots of conferences, as you know, Obviously, at the moment, it's more webinars and, and virtual meetings, but that's fine. We'll try to continue doing that. So that's, that's the bottom up, learning about entrepreneurs, meeting them, hearing their stories. It's what I'm now doing on a podcast as well, as, as you know. Then there's a top-down approach. The top-down approach is also very interesting. That's more sort of like, you know, going away and trying to think about, well, what could be an interesting business opportunities? What could be a way of like where, where space could help help solve some sort of business problem. And it could be in an area, an industry that actually doesn't, is not directly connected to space, right? It could be something else. It could be in, in the pharma sector, for example, or, or something like that. And then seeing like, once you found something, seeing like, well, is there any company that already exists which is doing this or something like that? And frankly, if there's no company at all, we have decided a while ago that we would not be afraid of actually starting a company as well, sort of like helping to, to found it, finding a team, giving them the initial capital. Like we don't have any specific example of that just yet, but there's sort of currently four ideas we're working on which would fit into that category. Hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's explore a little bit more about that. Uh, what, what segments of space are you interested in right now? What do you find like really attention gathering right now? Yeah, great question. I mean, obviously one nice thing about space is, um, space, space is not an industry, right? It's a, it's a location. And then you have several industries which you know, take place in, in that location. So, I mean, obviously we're looking at all of the, the, the normal big subsectors that probably everybody's looking at. So the satellite communications and earth observation um, and, and navigation stuff is those three immediately spring to mind. And, and why are they so prominent? Well, they're so prominent as we all know, because that's actually where people can make near-term revenues, which you know, investors tend to prefer that you can actually make some money in the near term. Like the, the asteroid mining and everything, that's very exciting, but sometimes it's beyond the time frame of your, your average investor. Now, if I were to go a little bit more into detail, like kind of some of the stuff that excites me. So for example, within satellite communications, I mean, yes, I think the, the, the big Leo constellations, um, 
like SpaceX is Starlink and Amazon Kuiper, there might very well be something there. You know, I think there's definitely also still problems to be worked out for, for those to really be successful, like for example, user terminals being a big issue. However, there's probably something there. Um, and at least to SpaceX, you know, one can get investment exposure. Obviously, Amazon Kuiper is, is a, in a more diluted way through, through Amazon public markets. Now, but speaking of SATCOM, so besides that, there's also some interesting things where it's more about um, you know, selling, selling the shovels for the gold rush. So one thing I've been looking at for the last few months, and we actually wrote a small check recently, is in optical communications. And you might know optical communication has been something that's been around for a while, but it hadn't really reached you know, commercial maturity, I suppose. You know, governments were using it for certain types of communications. I think there's a famous example that, you know, I think one of the long range communications with the Hayabusa uh, spacecraft was done in an optical way, so over a ginormous distance, right? Hmm. But optical has a lot of advantages compared to radio frequency communication, right? It's, 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 it's a much higher capacity. And by the way, at least for the moment, it's also unregulated. And it's hmm. hard to see why it would be regulated in the same way as radio frequency, because you have much less interference. And as a result, you know, a lot of people actually have expressed the wish to use optical communications. So for example, those Leo constellations like, like Kuiper and, and definitely Starlink, I mean, they're planning to have the inter-satellite links uh, done via optical communications. Then there's other companies who are proposing to, do, uh, to use optical communications to do what, uh, what, what's called relay satellites in geostationary orbit, where you basically um, you take the data that Leo-based satellites, for example, Earth observation satellites generate, send it via optical beams to geo, and then via optical beam, you send it back to, to Earth. It's, it's a way of basically solving what is uh, at the moment a, um, a data bottleneck, where actually a lot of the, the LEO satellite data, Earth observation data is currently lost because there's not mm -hmm. enough ground stations, mm -hmm. which is a whole topic by itself. So optical communication is something I've been recently excited about, continue to be excited about, and we actually have made an investment. I think another area that excites me very much, probably because I want to be a customer, is uh, space tourism. And um, obviously, Virgin Galactic um, listed on the stock exchange via the, the reverse merger with um, social capital. So now even retail investors can get access. I'm not going to opine here about the share price. Everybody has to kind of do their own analysis on that, but that is out there. But I don't think that's going to be the only thing that's out there. Again, you know, I, we already know Blue Origin is planning to do a space suborbital space tourism flights on its, uh, with its new Shepard uh, rocket and capsule. And I have a strong feeling there's going to be more companies doing that. And I believe this might be a very big market. You know, it's sort of like the somewhere on the intersection of adventure slash, for the moment at least, luxury travel. But, you know, even the prices, as we all know, are very high, right? The Virgin Galactic tickets were sold at $250,000. I think $200,000, $250,000. Blue Origin hasn't announced prices, but people guess it's going to be thereabouts as well, maybe $300,000. If you want to go to orbit, that runs you like 30 to $50 million, allegedly at the moment. So those are very big numbers. That, that's fine. But, you know, on the other hand, there's quite a few rich people around, you know. So uh, I think there's something like 35 million millionaires in the world. You only need a fraction of those with a desire to go to space to see that you actually, for the moment, have a very brutal mismatch between demand, potential demand, and supply. Hmm. Because those, those spacecraft that are currently doing this, like the, um, the new Shepard, the Origins vehicle, and uh, Virgin Galactic, they take six people each. Hmm. And they're not flying every hour. So th that's not a, not a lot of capacity, actually, compared to the potential demand.
So space tourism is something else I'm excited about. Huh. Well, I love those two areas, uh, the optical communication. I, I, I really think of Rick Ward in that area with Orbit's Edge. He's looking at doing edge uh, computing in space, which might help with that data um, processing and, and uh, pipeline problem. Uh, and also Michael Lyon, who is a, a really uh, old school, you know, OG investor in space tourism. And uh, huh, I've, I've done interviews with both those folks. So anybody who wants to find out more about those topics can go check that out. So, I, you know, the process engineering guy in me, the guy who investigates companies, which is a lot of what this thing uh, at least did to cold star sign I'm pointing to behind me <laughs> for those who are listening to the audio version. Uh, we can't go and investigate companies right now because that would require sending somebody on site and uh, well, that's just not happening. Thank goodness for data science, <laughs> which is what the main business that we're in right now is. But uh, what I would like to find out is you, you've been an analyst in, in past roles. You've had the chance to look into space and high tech companies. And so what I would like to know, keeping in mind, obviously, privacy and compliance security issues and that, what were some of the most surprising things that you uh, uncovered? Anything consistent about companies' issues? Uh, I, I really would like to know. Yeah, that's not a good question. Um, I think if you're talking about this sort of like visionary high-tech company, high-tech slash D-tech, and at the end, like a lot of space, probably the majority of space falls into that category. I think one thing I found in the work in the space sector in the past also with um, a lot of work in the telecom sector is th there's a difference between when these companies are run by visionary founders, where they're run by basically um, bureaucratic managers for the lack of a better expression. Like, I don't want to badmouth the bureaucratic managers too much. They have a role and at some point in time, like a company just needs to execute in a proper way as well. And so, yeah, they certainly have a role, but I think for the moment where we are in space, we are very blessed to have those, you know, visionary entrepreneurs just with a, with a larger outlook, like, like Elon with you know, making humanity multi-planetary like Jeff Bezos, who's obviously by, by his own admission inspired by, by Gerard O'Neill and, and the high frontier, right? And frankly, I don't even have to talk about like those two like really well-known people. I mean, we can take somebody who I think was recently on your show, like um, uh, Daniel Faber from OrbitFab. I mean, yes, he's doing refueling in space, but once you start talking to him, and I think he mentioned a little bit in his episode when he interviewed with you, yeah. um, he has a larger vision and he's doing that as, as a stepping stone for the larger vision. And I think, again, we're, we're very fortunate to have these people with, with the larger vision. Um, they also tend to be idealists, which by definition, right, which makes them very nice people. Well, at least in my opinion, some people might like to differ, makes them nice people to work with because, you know, I prefer to work with idealists than with uh, people who are just in it for the money. You know, I've, mm. I've worked in, in other sectors in the past and, and you know, there are some sectors, you know, the financial sector where I was in the past, obviously, it's not a big secret. A lot of people are in there for the money. It just makes for a different type of working environment and a different type of yeah, enjoyment, I suppose, on a day-to-day -day basis. I think fortunately in the space sector, we were so early on that I see very few of these, um, let's call them opportunists. Really the vast majority of people are idealists. And I, I carry a certain optimism that that's gonna continue, um, if only by the fact that space is deep tech. So for somebody who is an opportunist to get in, it's not that trivial. You actually, 
you have to invest some time. I mean, people can say like, well, Raphael, you're a financial markets guy. Yes, I am, but I will humbly say, you know, I've probably by now spent thousands and thousands of hours like studying up on space and going to International Space University as you, as you mentioned and so forth. So I'm, and I continue learning every day and I continue to try to be humble and like every day I learn something from people who have been in the industry longer than me. So I think it'll be difficult for people to just, to just come in on an opportunistic basis because they'll be found out very easily. So I have some optimism that we're going to continue to have this nice idealist, big visionary element in space. Excellent. I think I'll use that as my snippet for the front end there. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I will pipe in and say one of the things that I've seen most consistently with, with companies is that nothing is written down. <laughs> there are no processes uh, written down and information is distributed in a, in a poor manner. It's on people's hard drives rather than in a central location because people don't like using centralized software very often so that's also true yeah. so that, that was that was very interesting hearing your perspective and I'm, I'm glad that you share that positive outlook uh that we, you know we, we both want to work with idealists and visionaries um and uh, and daniel faber is a great example of somebody who wants to kickstart that space economy right and if if the way he has to do it is by building gas stations in space gosh darn it that's how he's gonna do it and uh, and i love it this is Jason Kanigan from Cold Star Tech, and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. Right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. Right? The second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company a space company and that has gone on for a little while six months a year something like that and it is time as uh, COVID has made it to double down or get out those are pretty much the choices right it's time to invest further in a thing we already know which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or or stop just kill the project and so the good news is in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So... If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. 
And uh, I am excited to talk to you that the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. Let's see. We have this COVID problem right now, and that has changed the perspective of, uh, of venture capitalists and inv investors. Uh, and I've been on a couple of uh, VC uh, Zoom calls like this, you know, on meetings and heard their perspectives. But I want to hear what you have to say about what the near future is uh, for investing in, in space companies. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big secret, right? And it's, in fairness, it's not specific to space. I mean, obviously all investment has ticked down. I mean, you can see it in the, uh, in the numbers, right? I mean, there's a number of sources which put out statistics on, on, on venture investment. Um, you may know that E2MC myself, we put out a monthly um, mm -hmm. summary of space investment rounds on, on Space Watch Global. And so the last one for, that was for the month of April, you could already see like a tick down of the, um, of the overall number of the overall, overall dollar volume. However, one would immediately have to say the deals that got recently announced, uh, they've been in the works for a while, right? Mm -hmm. They've been by and large in the works uh, for many months prior to COVID, right? So it's sort of like there's, there's a tail you're seeing mm -hmm. being worked through right now. Um, so I expect those numbers to dip down further in the next few months, the, the published numbers. And then while you can't see it in the numbers, anecdotally, you certainly have those examples of, you know, people pulling away from term sheets, stuff that was almost signed, um, not being signed. That's, that's unfortunately still happening. Um, that's, that's just a reality. And, you know, we'll, we'll need to kind of work our way through COVID. People will have to get a bit more clarity what's going on. Um, valuations have to adjust. That's already ongoing. Um, certainly, you know, at least sort of informal anecdotal valuations you're, you're seeing now of people who are still trying to raise are very different from some of the valuations you would have seen at the beginning of the year, where frankly, I mean, I've, I've said no to quite a few opportunities at the beginning of the year because I thought the valuation was a bit frothy. So to some extent, it's, it's, it's also a healthy adjustment, I suppose. Well, good. Okay. And there's other classes of investors, as you have pointed out in our note sheet over here, which I'm looking at. <laughs> if, if folks see me look away, that's what I'm doing. I've got another big screen over here that I'm looking at with the notes on it. So uh, what about the other classes of investors, which, as you pointed out, are angel investors, family, offices, private equity, uh, strategics, that kind of thing? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, by and large, pretty much everybody has retrenched, right? So the only exception, and this is also where I, you know, the, the startups which I advise, I tell them to go after that if they have the opportunity to do so, is the governments. Um, so especially in the U.S., frankly in many countries, but especially in the U.S., you know, we are blessed with a, a you know, very supportive ecosystem of um, sources of public funds, right? And it's, so the average person thinks NASA, right? But us in the space industry, we know it. Well, it's not only NASA. NASA has like, what, well, 20-something billion dollar budget, and that's fine. 
then you have you know the the, the the defense and intelligence community right the dod all of the three letter agencies like nsa bia and so forth if you add their total budgets up you're like i don't know somewhere like 700 billion dollars of course not all of that goes to space but even if a percentage of that goes to space that's a lot of money right and there's now a lot of interesting programs like fworks and, and, and so forth where people can get basically uh grants or other funding from government sources so that is my my advice at the moment to most of the startups I'm working with, if you have a legitimate reason to, you know, if you have, if you have to, something of value to offer to the government, talk to them. Mm. Like you should anyway, but especially right now. Now, almost every other class of investor is sort of um, either busy kind of taking care of the existing portfolio, because as you can imagine, the existing portfolio companies often are in trouble and, you know, People have to basically review like a runway, how much cash they have, whether you need to cut costs and so forth. Yeah. Or if they are in a more comfortable position that they have, you know, um, both time and spare cash to invest. I see them pretty much, well, on average, at least taking a wait and see attitude. Mm. They're saying, okay, where are valuations going to go? You know, which companies are going to survive? Which companies will have access to government grants? That kind of stuff. And if you break it down a little bit into some of the categories you mentioned, so, I mean, uh, what I just said is definitely true for the VCs. So I think VCs by and large, either taking care of existing portfolio, or if they have a little bit more room, time and resource wise, wait and see attitude. Um, angel investors, I mean, it depends. Some people are still writing small checks, but by and large, there's, I think also a wait and see attitude. Uh, family offices, I mean, it depends a little bit on the family office, you know, there's some family offices which will be more similar to, to the angel investors that they may even be like a passionate interest in space. So they continue to write small checks. If they're, the more they get towards the institutional end, so to say, the more they will resemble the VCs in terms of either taking care of their existing portfolio and or taking a wait and see attitudes. Who else do we have? Um, Strategics. So yep. strategics um, in, in space will typically mean like your, your, your aerospace strategic company, right? Like a Lockheed or Boeing or Airbus in Europe or somebody like that. So interesting. That's actually where we still see some continuing activity, not necessarily in terms of like actually um, you know, closing transactions, I think, but just in our day-to-day -day interaction of like, you know, them still sort of like, um, not completely retrenching for opportunities, but still continuing to look. However, what I will say is that it also has slowed down in the sense that just pretty much everywhere things are under lockdown or at least have been under lockdown, right? So just work has been much more difficult. So we're having a number of situations where, you know, we're having strategic investors who are looking at companies we're working with and they were like about to do their due diligence and do things like site visits and so forth and well, that's just not possible at the moment. So that kind of, you know, throws a spanner in the wrench there as well. Okay. So lots of different perspectives there, but mostly the wait and see, right? Uh, seems to be the, the, the most prominent. Yeah. It's mostly the wait and see. Now, yeah. what I will say though, I'm a very big fan of sowing the seeds, even in a time like that. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're a startup, like by no means stop, you know, like keep, continuing the discussions, keep networking with people, because if anything, you'll have the advantage that some people will have given up and mm -hmm. will have stopped the conversation. So you can, 
And then it just depends on the, on, on the specific person, the specific counterparty. Some people, they really will not get anywhere because they're too busy or distracted. Yeah. But you may just actually get into the door with somebody right now. And then once things pick up again, you will have started the conversation. Right. And I've seen this for years and years and years in, in other industries as well in the sales field, uh, giving, people giving up because it's Christmas time or Thanksgiving or something like that and saying, oh, forget it. Nobody's going to buy now. Well, all you did was make it easier for the other folks <laughs> who, who stuck around. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah, no, this is, this is actually, and this is a shout out to all like people who are thinking or have thought in the past about founding a company, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say something that sounds a bit silly, but I think this is actually a great time to start a company. Partly because some people who would have been your competitors are not even going to try. And there's, then there's a number of other reasons um, as well. And we could do probably like a separate episode just on that. But just one obvious one is that there's actually like talent on the street now looking for new jobs. So to some extent, you can hire some, some really good people right now that usually wouldn't be available. Huh. And, and those who invest, I'm going to say, really mean it. They're not just casual drive-by, oh, I should throw some money into this pot. Yeah, I, I think so. That's another reason. Um, then yet another one is that, you know, let's say if, if this was sort of like, um, I don't know, even six months ago or so, you could have said like, wow, look at the stock market, look at the economy, like, you know, we're in for another bear market, we're in for another recession. Well, guess what? We're in the middle of a recession now. We're in the middle of a bear market. So like, at least now you know that <laughs> hopefully things can only get better. Famous last words, but you get my point. Uh. All right. Raphael, you made a question that I asked here better, so I'm going to read it out here. <laughs> so so what, what I was asking was, uh, there, there have been a bunch of prominent failures recently. We've had OneWeb, Sky and Space, Speedcast, and Intelsat. Uh, what's your view on these failures and, and their, their impacts on the industry? Yeah, I mean, of course, every story like that is, is sort of tragic. And of course, there is people there who lose their jobs and wouldn't qualify people. So that's the sad part. Now, to some extent, a lot of companies in space, I mean, if you look at the space sector at large, sort of what stage are the companies in, like the typical stages of, you know, financial and business development, like, you know, seed, seed stage, series A, B, C, and so forth, right? The majority by number of space companies are basically either seed or series A. And then you have like a few other companies, which are a little bit further on. But by and large, it's still like, you know, a venture stage industry. Of course, in ventures, the numbers are such that a, a vast majority of companies will fail. That, that is just the base rate. And another reality is that, you know, if any sort of specific venture fund you look at, you will typically see that the failures on average always come before the successes, right? At least in a normal world, the successes, you know, take like, five, six, seven, maybe 10 years, depending on exactly what the company is doing. Whereas if something fails, you know, typically it fails, it fails faster because there just wasn't product market fit or the team was just not the right team. So failures typically have a faster than successes. And to some extent, you know, you know, it might be as easy to say like, you know, the, the, what we call new space, right? Which is sort of like the, the new commercial space companies is a relatively young phenomenon, right? It's, I don't know, the last five to 10 years, something like that, right? So to some extent, I think it may be as simple as saying that, well, we're just hitting the, the phase where a lot of these companies are, are failing just because that's what happens. They fail first before you see the successes. I do think there is an additional element where, you know, um, again, space is a deep tech industry. It's not trivial, right? So I think some companies have also been probably founded and started and, and supported in 
too naive a way, you know, people being just a little bit too, too optimistic and maybe not looking enough at, you know, lessons from the past when similar things have been tried and so forth. Um, you know, I, I think as a, and, and hopefully now people are going to start learning these lessons a little bit more. I think as a, as people like you and I, and, and I think probably all of us in the sector, you know, who love the sector, we have to some extent a responsibility that we should promote, even though we're excited about space and we want to drag more and more capital into, into, into the sector, we also have a responsibility of making sure that that capital enters the sector in a responsible way. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if we get too many one webs, it's going to turn people off. Yeah. And that's, we don't want that. Right. Right. Yeah. Too easy access to credit or capital can be a problem. And, and, and sorry. And one thing I should point out, which is related. It's so, so when I say about, you know, responsible investing in the sector, again, I come back to the fact this this is a deep tech sector, you know, people need to have a little bit of respect. And again, I come back to the point that I invested many thousands of hours to try to get minimally up to speed. Right. Right. Like this isn't something where people should say like, Oh, space is exciting. I'm going to invest now. Like, so I'm, I'm very, you know, not very, but I'm sometimes concerned about general, like the so-called generalist VC funds hmm. coming into space too easily. Mm -hmm. And then as you know, like some of them have already gotten burned. I sometimes compare space to something like biotech. Hmm. And if you look at the biotech world, you know, there's a very, well, there's a relatively clear distinction. Like, you know, you have generalist Silicon Valley VC funds, and then you have hundreds of specialist biotech funds who only do biotech. Mm -hmm. if, you look, if you look at the general partners, they typically have either MDs and or PhDs in the life sciences. It's very different, and there's a reason for that. And I think space is much more similar to that than to like, you know, your run-of-the-mill type internet investment. So, which is another um, reason that, and, and obviously I'm inclined to say that I think there should be, you know, more space specialized investors who could provide this expertise, you know, so that, you know, when family offices or other institutional investors want to invest in space, they have some place they can go to where they know, well, these are supposedly specialists who just do that, who have the expertise, you know, who can do proper due diligence on something like space. Um, so, so I won't get burned for the very specific um, elements of the space sector. Cool. Well, that due diligence is a service that Cold Star is developing right now uh, with our with our technical and business capabilities. So, that's that's really exciting. Um, I, I really like to hear what you have to say about uh, not making capital too easy to access for this industry. It, it does go against the grain of uh, what I think most founders would wish for, but. Uh, it can it can lead to easy collapses as well um, when when circumstances change and maybe repayment rates are too high or something. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your new show, the Space Business Podcast. To finish up, it's uh, you've got five episodes out right now. I've listened to a couple of them. It changed my point of view about you before I'd met you, so that it's doing its job. That's <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, this is this is really good. Uh, and so I recommend folks go and check that out. It's on iTunes at least and probably many other places. Uh, so why have you done that? Making, making a show is kind of a pain in the butt. <laughs> I well yes. know it's a, it's a grind and whatnot, uh, but I am curious what your biggest takeaway has been so far from, from uh, doing these several first episodes and interviewing other people. Hmm. Good question. And as you mentioned, it's, it's early on. So, I mean, the thinking about the whole project, I think started, end of last year and then the first recording was i think sometime in february and you know 
you know, I think the Space Business Podcast, and as you mentioned, it's on iTunes, on Pandora, and, and all the other platforms. Right now, the target is to put out an episode about once every two weeks. I think mm. you're now doing it twice a week, and yeah. I don't know how you do it. I admire your stamina <laughs> to the community, because it's, it's, it takes a certain amount of work. Now, I mean, I, I guess the first question is like, why am, why am I doing this? Am I not busy enough with the investing? So yes, there's the investing, there's the advising, but you know, because of the passion for the space sector, again, you know, I have this, this objective of bringing more and more people to space. And I think that, the, as I mentioned, I think we're still early on and there is not a lot of knowledge about space in sort of the general public. Yes, people increasingly watch the SpaceX launches and, and that's fantastic, but sort of about what's really going on, like, you know, what really, what are the economics? What are the business models? What are entrepreneurs doing? I think there isn't um, a very high level of knowledge yet. And again, I truly believe that people in other industries that are not connected to space at all should benefit from space. I think probably actually in most industries. And, but they will not realize that and they will not think about how space can help them unless they have a minimum knowledge about space. That's why I'm so keen to provide this education effort. I guess, you know, as a service to the community, of course, it's great for me as well, because I get to speak to a lot of interesting people that I speak to anyway. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about it, but that's sort of the, that's sort of the rationale. Uh, it's sort of a general outreach effort, which, which I'm doing other things as well. As you know, I write for Space Watch Global and I also go to conferences and I judge pitch contests and that kind of stuff. General, general outreach. Now, um, takeaways, um, it's interesting. I think, again, look, we're only five or six episodes in, so it's very early on. I think already it's very noticeable to see how rich the community is in all aspects. So like the people who have been on so far on the entrepreneurial side, they're all doing very different things. And of course, partly that's by design, right? But you had like an Earth Observation guy, you had like satellite optical communications guy, you had Matt Dash from Iridium, which is like, you know, the, the really like uh, old school satellite um, communications been around for forever, has seen so many things. And then you had, um, as you may have seen, Kaz Anwar from, from The Expanse. So he, right. And that actually is probably my, one of my favorite episodes, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is my favorite episode. So you hear you have a guy who actually is not really connected to the space sector as such, right? Because he doesn't work for a space company. He's not a space founder. Like his connection to space is that in a TV series, he's piloting a spacecraft. One of my favorite TV series, by the way. But, but the guy is now so passionate about space and he's so keen to be an advocate for space. I, I was just like, honestly, it warmed my heart because we need more people like that. Because, you know, I might reach some people through, hopefully through the podcast, but Kaz is on like a really highly rated um, TV series with like God knows how much audience. If you get more people like him, you know, as advocates for space, that's going to be fantastic. And so I'm also going to try to get more people like that on the podcast to, to, to spread the message in a broader way like that as well. Well, I'll link to those things uh, below the, the E2FC website and, and the Space Business Podcast. Folks can go check those things out. And I, I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I am richer for having encountered you. Uh, my guest today has been Raphael Ruck. And what's the best way to connect with you for folks if they're interested in reaching out? Sure. I mean, I um, generally I'm responsive on LinkedIn, so you can find me there under my first last name, Raphael Rotkin. I pretty much try to check it every day. So if you leave me a message there, I'll probably be back to you at, at maximum within a few days. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks, Jason. It was, it was my pleasure. And I look forward to many more episodes of uh, Cold Star Project as well.
This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released, and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening.